You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. We're in a series about the unsung heroes of the Bible, little known heroes that um, are speaking into our, our personal lives. Because listen, if, this, if the power of this book is when we see ourselves in it, when it's, not, when it's something that is kind of aloof to our, our lives, it doesn't have as much impact. But when we, when we see ourselves in, this, in, the, in, the, in the footsteps of, of people in the Bible, it all of a sudden it becomes alive to us. And so we've been in a series looking at some of these heroes that are a little bit more relevant to our uh, lives and relationships. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the most mentioned woman in the Bible. Um, and for some of you, any, anybody want to take a guess is who's the most mentioned woman in the Bible? Sarah. Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah, is mentioned more times in Scripture than any other woman, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, she's mentioned also in the Hall of Faith, which is Hebrews chapter 11, um, where it says it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren. And was too old. <laughs> Thanks, Bible, for telling us that she was old. That's awfully nice of them. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so we're going to talk today about faith. And we're going to look at Sarah's life and how her life encourages us to have faith. But faith is kind of irrational, isn't it? I mean, think, think about it for a moment. Faith is a little bit like we're, we're believing in things that we don't see. We're believing in things that sometimes we have to wait to happen. It's a bit irrational. And as we're going to see in Sarah's life, she has doubts about God's faithfulness, about his goodness. She has to wait an extremely long time for a promise to happen in her life, right? She's mistreated in the process. She also mistreats others. She feels forgotten and even cursed, by the way. We're going to see that. And so if you've ever lived with um, an unpainful, uh, a painful um, unmet desire in your life, if you've ever um, asked the question, why God or when God, um, then you're going to be able to relate to Sarah. She has something to say to each of us. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to um, start there and kind of go a few pages uh, into the text. Genesis 11, we first learn about Sarah in that chapter in verse uh, 29. It says, meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarah was unable to become pregnant and had no children. Imagine the first thing that is ever mentioned about you in the pages of scripture is that you can't have kids. And matter of fact, this was, this, this was very painful um, because in the, in, the, in, the, in the light of the culture of the day, Sarah... And this is going to sound, this is going to sound bad, but Sarah had one job. In this culture, um, women were not, they were kind of used as baby making machines. They were, they were asked to have children and not just children, typically they wanted sons. And so, so Sarah is in this situation where she is not able to become pregnant and, and the, and the amount of shame um, that is wrapped up in that because of her culture, because of the context is immense. Um, and, and then her inability to have children keeps coming up in the story too. Every time she's mentioned, that's, it's kind of uh, just as a reminder, she's not able to have a kid. And it's just, all, it's just wrapped up in her story. And, and then you add to that, not only do you have like, it, it was expected that she should give Abram, Abraham a son, 
for economic reasons, uh, for legacy type reasons, but also when you add to that, that God gave Abraham a covenant that he would be the father of many nations and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And the woman he's married to can't have kids. How is this gonna happen? How, and so this promise that also heaps on, isn't that interesting? How sometimes the promises can make us feel even worse about ourselves rather than better. And so she's got all of this, right? And by the way, nobody ever blames Sarah in the narrative. God especially never blames Sarah for it's like her fault, but it's just kind of in this story and how much undeserved shame and guilt Sarah must have felt. Listen, the entire covenant that God made to Abraham was wrapped up in this, in, in her ability to be fertile and every month hoping and every month nothing. So what does Sarah do? She does exactly what you and I have done. She takes matters into her own hands. If God isn't going to do what he promised or what, and, and, what I, and what I want and what Abraham needs, then we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and do it. So this was her idea, um, which, by the way, was very acceptable in the culture of her day. Uh, if 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 she couldn't have children, then then this is what they would do. Sarah had this servant. Her name was Hagar, and so she says to Abraham, um, Abram, would you? Um, I got this idea. I can't have kids. Why don't you take my servant Hagar, sleep with her, and then you'll have descendants and Abraham being the stupid guy that we all are, says, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> it's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, this is gonna, dude, we know this is gonna backfire, man. We know this is not a good idea. No, no matter what context, no matter what culture, this is not a good idea. But that's what happens, and Hagar gets pregnant. And then this, and then verse 16, uh, it says, Hagar knew she was pregnant. She began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Verse five, then Sarah said to Abram, <laughs> uh, we knew this is coming. This is all your fault. Does this sound like, a, does it sound like anybody Sunday morning, this morning's relationship, marriage, anybody? This is, this is your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord's gonna show who's wrong, you or me. He's gonna, and you know, all, you know what she's saying is the Lord's on my side. That's what she's saying. Abram, you shouldn't have done this. <laughs> it was her idea. It doesn't matter. Abram replied, look, she is your servant. He's, he's like, hands off, man, come on. This is your, deal with her however you see fit. And then Sarah, unfortunately, treated Hagar so harshly that Hagar ran away and ended up having Ishmael, her son, out in the wilderness, and they barely survive. Um, and so it's just this tragic story because Sarah, like we all do, tried to take matters into her own hands. And it wasn't just Sarah. Abram was just right along with her, right? You know, we always give, we, you know, Eve was the one that ate the apple, but Adam was standing right next to her, that kind of thing, right? There's this, this, this we just try when, and, and they had, listen, they had been waiting for 25 years. Isn't that crazy? I mean, this, see, we, we, we get to the end of the story. Look at the end of the story as, as verse uh, Verse 18, so the, all these years have passed, 25 years after the first word that God spoke to Abram that he would be the descendant of the father of many nations, right? And God visits Abram in the form of three, 
three visitors. And this is what, and this is the conversation they have in verse, we'll start in verse nine. So where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. Abram says, she's inside the tent. And then one of them said, I will, ret- I will return to you about this time next year and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. That's pretty specific. Up until this point, it's just kind of like God says, I'm gonna, you're gonna be the father of many nations and, and they're just aging out year after year after year and nothing and nothing. And then they come and they say, well, you're, so imagine you're Sarah, you're in the tent, you're wait, you've been waiting for 25 plus years for this promise to happen. It's not happened. You tried to do it on your own and that didn't work out. Um, and, so, and, the, and so Abraham um, and so, this is, so Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time. Yeah, we got the point. Thank you. Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? I think she's thinking about a life with the son, not having the son, by the way. Especially when my master, my husband is also so old. It was just this like, wow, this, how could this happen? You know, I mean, she laughed. You know what, this, the kind of laugh it is, it's not like joyful laugh, it's like a mocking laugh, like, <laughs> yeah, right. Been there, done that, hasn't worked. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Verse 14, we're gonna come back to this, and you might just underline this, highlight this in your Bible app, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. I just love this. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, no, you did laugh. I wish I had more time to kind of dig into that, like, wow, God calls her on the laugh. But anyways, this isn't amazing. And then, and I was going to read you the, the end of the story, right? Because we, we always like to get to the end. Verse, verse Chapter 21, verse one, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And this happened at just the time God had said it would. And guess what she names her son? Laughter. That's what Isaac means. Laughter. It's not the joyful kind of laughter either. It's like, yeah, I did laugh. And I'm going to do my son after my laugh. So we hear the end of the story. And I mean, I literally have turned three pages from the time that God gave Abram this word that he would be the father of many nations to the time where the promise is being fulfilled with Isaac. Three pages. And we love to get to the end of the story. And so one of the, one of the, the problems in kind of in the church world is that, is that only, there's only three pages until it's all resolved. But life is lived right here. And there's a lot of life that's lived right here. There's a lot of doubt there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of lack of faith before there's faith. And, 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 and we, don't, we don't allow for that tension. As Christians, you know, we gotta, we gotta, be, we gotta be full of faith. But this is, the ten, this, is, this is where we live, is in the tension of, God, you said, but this is my experience, you know? I love seeing the people get baptized today and just how they come up, it's like full of faith and you just don't, you, you don't want to tell them. Life's going to be hard. <laughs> you just want to let them live in it for a minute. Full of faith, right? See, but Sarah's journey of faith was not pretty and it was hard. 
But I think all of us can relate to that kind of journey. See, faith, Pastor Dave, I love what Pastor Dave wrote in his comments for our community group leaders for this week. He wrote these words, the faith journey is often an ugly road of twists, turns, and heartache. Perhaps this happens to us because we have the wrong person at the center of our focus. If we pull up 30,000 feet and get a God's eye view of Sarah's story, we will find that for much of her journey, she placed herself at the center. We cannot blame Sarah for this. We are all guilty of the same self-focused pursuits, but perhaps we can learn from our ancient sisters. See, some, see, Sarah had put her faith in, not in God's ability to give her a son, but in her ability to have a son. And that's why her faith faltered. That's why she laughed. That's why in Abraham, that's why they did the thing with Hagar. It's just like their faith faltered because her focus was on her own ability or Abraham's ability, their own ability to, to, to make happen what God desired. And we don't blame her. Her fulfillment as a woman, as a wife, her status in the community was all wrapped up in this the cultural pressure, the, the word of God, all of this stuff, right? And her faith, and, and because her faith was in herself and her ability, what happened is that she became bitter, cynical, mean to those around her, Hagar. It wasn't until she put her faith in God's ability. See, we, re, we read Sarah's story and we realize <laughs> her story is not much different than mine the ups and the downs, the difficulties, and having faith in God when, when my circumstances say that I, don't, that, that I shouldn't put my faith in God, that maybe he's not trustworthy. That's what the world would have us to believe. Sarah's encouragement to us, though, is that to keep believing. And you're like, did, did she? See, Jesus said the faith of a mustard seed, the size of a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds that exists, that's enough to move a mountain. See, a lot of times we think, we read, the, we read you know, you read some of the other people in Hebrews 11, these, these characters of extreme faith, large faith, and you think, oh, I guess I'll never make it in that chapter. <laughs> and then we read about Sarah. Arguably a woman of little faith. But her little faith was enough. It's all, that, it's all that God needed to do what he promised. So what does a little bit of faith look like? What, is it, what did it look like for Sarah and what might it look like for us? Well, a couple of things. One, a little bit of faith is bigger than our biggest mistake. A little bit of faith, it will... It will cause us to try to do things on our own, but isn't it interesting that God still kept his promises? Even though they did the whole thing with Hagar. See, all of us have been through waiting seasons. I want, just imagine, 25 plus years of waiting for the promise. <laughs> and all of us would like start coming up with ideas. Well, maybe we could, what about this? So we thought about that. And, and I don't, think, I don't think God is like, oh, don't do that, you know? I mean, he's like, this is the human condition. But we have to be careful that we don't rely on ourselves or on the world's way um, to get out of our situations or to make something happen. 
See, all of us have decided, just like Sarah and Abraham, all of us have decided to help God out. God, I know you have a plan. I know that you're in control. You know, we say that. But um, plan B, here's my plan, just in case your plan takes too long <laughs> or doesn't work out or whatever, right? Or we don't know or we don't understand his full plan, right? So we're like, well, here's plan B. This is a plan I can control. I mean, that's what we think. But then, you know, the thing got messy with Hagar. There's no, neither of them had any, none of them had control of anything. That's what happens, right? And God, I don't think you understand how hard my life is, so here's plan B. But God still had his way. Even, even though Sarah and Abraham made one of the biggest mistakes of their lives that had ripple effect in their relationship with Hagar and Ishmael and that relationship, the conflict between Ishmael and Isaac was then, but it's still now. Their descendants are still fighting. There's this conflict that happened, but God still had his way. He still did what he promised. Our worst mistake of trying to manipulate a situation or trying to, you know, our plan B, all of that, it's like, no, nah, doesn't throw God off his game. He's still in control. He's in control of our situation right now in our world. He's still in control of this nation. He's still in control of your family. Listen, he's, I rest in that. I trust in that. The little bit of faith that I have, I put in that. I believe that God is in control, but but a little bit of faith is bigger than our biggest mistake. And the second thing is a little bit of faith is bigger than the biggest lie. And you know what the lie Sarah started believing in Abraham? Is that she was too old for God to do his work. In other words, she believed that she wasn't enough and that God wasn't big enough. See, when you or I are diagnosed with an illness, when we need a new or better job, when we have financial difficulties when we need reconciliation with a child or with a family member. And what we do oftentimes when we look at the problems in our lives is we get out our human calculators, right? We go like, okay, I need to do this, X, Y, and Z. If I do these three things and this thing will happen. And so we start doing the math on all of that. And if I just do this or if I work a little bit harder, if I, you know, we do all of this. Not realizing that God's math is different than our math. If you thought your kid's math was different, God's math is like, supernatural. He's just like, when you put God into the mix, it changes things. And listen, you don't, ha- you don't have to muster up more faith. I think sometimes we think we just got to get more faith. If, the more faith I have, the more God will do what he did. But it just takes a little bit. The Bible's clear on that. Just a little bit of faith can move a mountain. If you take that little bit of faith that you have and put it in Jesus the crucified and resurrected Lord, the one who is dead and brought himself back to life, then you, won't, you don't have to settle for what the world throws at you or what a doctor tells you or what the circumstances in your life speak to you or what your friends tell you or what, or what social media tells you 
or what your spouses tell you, right? Just resist the urge to settle for less than what God can do. Is anything too hard for him? You don't need a lot of faith to whisper, God, nothing is too difficult for you. Would you whisper that with me right now? Just, just, just loud enough for you to hear, God, nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing. So I wanna ask you, what are you believing God for today? What are you praying for that is yet to be fulfilled? What does waiting in faith look like for you today? I was reminded this morning of this, the childlike faith that is sometimes required of followers of Jesus. Just a simple, small faith to believe again. After the last service, I received a note and, uh, and someone in the church emailed me and they were online watching and, and they just, they, it's a great email and they were kind of being really vulnerable and they said, I've just, I've stopped believing for some things because I believed, I believed for them for five or six years, they said, but after five or six years and nothing, and I just, I just, I found myself stop. I just stopped praying for those things. I stopped believing for those things. And what have you stopped believing for? What have you? What have you decided? You know, I'm just going to do it myself. Let me tell you a personal story. I don't think I've shared it with the church. Um, you'll understand why if I haven't. I would try to tell it to you. Um, for the past two years, um, I didn't know this until um, earlier this year, the first of this year, I didn't know this, but the past two years, I've been um, struggling with depression. And um, funny, other people knew, <laughs> but I was oblivious to it. And I remember waking up one morning um, this past year, this, this just a, back in January, I remember waking up and I was just praying. I remember the Lord said, do you wanna, do you wanna live with this heaviness for the rest of your life? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> but anybody that's dealt with depression knows that it's, that's just, that's not an easy fix. It's not like, well, I'm just gonna decide not to be depressed today. Um, so I talked to my wife, I talked to my counselor, I went actually to my doctor, and we all decided together that um, I should go on an antidepressant, and so I did. And, um, and it took a while, but I remember, I remember the day that, um, the way I describe it is I woke up. I was, I was awake to um, how I was feeling, how I was doing, I could... I could pray again, I could, I could hear God's voice again. I, could, I just was awake, um, so I was grateful, I was grateful. So I went to, and then in June of this year, I went to a conference um, in Billings, a pastor's conference. Uh, me and Rod Kirk, our operations pastor, rode our motorcycles up to Billings, and uh, it was an amazing trip. And I remember sitting in one of the sessions at this conference, and it was a time of re response, and, the, and um, time of prayer for one another, and so we stopped, 
just worship was playing and we turned to the people around us. Rod was next to me and this uh, older couple was sitting in front of me. I didn't recognize them at first, kind of dark in the thing, but I realized later that it was kind of a long time four square pastor or part of a four square denomination. And, and so I just decided, I'm just gonna tell them what I'm going through, you know, and that um, I'm on antidepressants. I just, exactly what I just told you. I just kind of said, this is what I, and uh, they laid hands on me and they just began to pray. And then, and then I don't remember what they said. All I just remember is that they, they asked God to heal me of my depression. And, um, and it was right then in that moment, I, just, I felt something like it was just, it was, it was, I can't explain it. It was just something tangible, like something happened when they were praying for me, I could, I could feel like something happened. I don't know what happened, but something happened. Day after day, week after week after that, I, I, just, I, I just, I felt different. I didn't feel the same as what I felt before. I felt like, is the medication not working anymore? What's going on? And I just, I just, it just, it just didn't feel right. Like it didn't feel like it did before that conference, right? And so I'm like, and I just, I, I, and I started hearing the Lord just say, I healed you, Steve. And you know, you're like, uh. <laughs> and I remember, I, I was reminded in that moment when, he, when, I, when I felt like God healed me, it was like, I remember this guy in, in college, Bible college of all places, uh, really felt like God healed him of, of farsightedness. So he threw away his glasses and his contacts. Problem, God didn't heal him of farsightedness. And so now he's walking around blind. And so I'm like, well, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna just toss the meds you know, because I got a word, you know, and so, <laughs> and so, but I really felt it. I really felt like, I think God healed me. I've been telling Suzanne, I think God might have healed me, but I'm not going to just going to, you know, do something stupid. And so, so I went back to my counselor, my doctor. I said, hey, I, <laughs> you tell your doctor, hey, I think God healed me. The looks you get are a little strange, but, but, um, but I asked, is there any way um, for me to try, like, to go off the medication to see, you know? And um, so he said, yeah, 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 just take some time and this is what I want you to do. And so I followed this regimen for a couple of months and, and I'm, I'm free. And I'm not, I'm not telling you that like medication is bad or something like that because the church has put a lot of shame on people. You know, medication might be the God's answer to your prayer. It was for me for a season, it was. But I tell you, I was, I mean, I'm like, I'm free. I, I'm not dealing with depression anymore. Yeah, praise God. And I tell you that because faith comes by hearing, the Bible says, and hearing by the word of the Lord. It's like the, the, there's, this, there's something we've missed sometimes in the church of testimony, of hearing the, what God has done in someone else's life that it buoys our faith, that encourages our faith, that helps us to hope again, that helps us to believe again and helps us to lean in. And you're like, God, I've been praying for this for 25 years. And I'm not gonna stop. If I have to go another 25, I'm gonna keep pressing in because I know you're bigger than what I'm facing. I know that you're bigger than the pain in my life. I know that you're bigger than the disease in my life. I know that you're bigger than the broken relationships in my life. I know that you're bigger than the financial distress in my life. I know that you're bigger than COVID. I know that you're bigger than the disunity that exists in our lives. I know that you're bigger, so I'm gonna keep pressing in. 
And I'm going to keep having faith. Even if it's just a little bit of faith, I'm going to keep believing, God, that you are big enough for whatever is going on in my life. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? And, and I want you just to simply ask yourself this question. What have you stopped praying for and believing for? Take a moment and just write it down or talk it out with God. Just what have you stopped praying for and believing for? What are you what are you afraid to put your faith in God for? Because you don't want to be disappointed and you're afraid He's gonna make you wait. And so you just would rather live with it and try to figure it out on your own. And God is inviting us, all of us, to step into a deeper place of faith. To say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. As it is in heaven, let it be done here on earth. And if you need healing today, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever, whatever is you're faced with right now, whatever physical ailment that's going on in your life, if you need healing and you want to believe for it today, would you just simply, with every eye closed, would you simply lift your hand to God and say, God, I want to believe again for your healing power in my life. I need your spirit to move on my behalf. Maybe it's financial provision. Maybe it's a broken relationship that needs healing. Jesus, we put our faith in you. We declare that today, Lord, that you would bring healing and wholeness and restoration in every aspect of our lives. That Jesus, wherever there is brokenness, that you would begin to mend, that you would begin to restore, that you would begin to make right those things that are broken. Lord, for those that are needing healing physically, Lord, I pray right now by your power, you would bring healing, wholeness, emotionally, mentally, physically, in Jesus' name. We speak to the cancers and we tell them to be gone in Jesus' name. We speak to depression and we tell it to be gone in Jesus' name. Anxiety to be gone in Jesus' name. Help us, Jesus, to walk in faith and wisdom. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your work on the cross and in your resurrection that gives us permission to believe again the very power that raised you from the dead, Jesus lives in us. Help us to have faith, just a little bit of faith in you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.